and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. Uh, I'm the host, Alex Bullimore, and today I'm just joined by Dan Lambert. Dan, welcome back. Hello, good to be good to be back to you, Phil. First podcast for you after, I mean, it wasn't really that much of a break, was it? No, but I wasn't there last week for the uh, the introduction pod, so... Quite right. Was... Um, and I don't think we're doing too many more between now and the start of the season. I don't think... Uh, I don't think our sanity could take it really, could it? Um, no, but, pr- probably not, probably not. No. Uh, so later on in this podcast, we'll be joined by Cole Petham from the Holtcast podcast for some insight into what we can expect from Michael Beale. Uh, but for now, Dan, uh, could I just get your thoughts on the appointment, actually, of Michael Beale, seeing as you weren't here last week? We'll give you an opportunity to... Uh, express a few opinions on him firstly i guess are you excited potentially by his appointment yeah yeah i'd say i say i'm excited i mean i try and try and ha- have some sort of excited um excitement with a bit of cautious optimism but i don't know from watching some of the games from reading up about how he's the the brains behind kind of like the gerard um his managerial tenure and yeah, all the things you read really are, uh, are so positive. So it's hard not to be excited. Um, but yeah, you've also got to um, accept that it is a risk with his first job in uh, first as a as a manager, basically, or a head coach. You were quite keen to get Liam Manning in. Um, from well, for, I say keen. We looked at the list of potential uh, appointments at the time that Warburton was told that he was no longer going to be the manager anymore. Beal wasn't on there at the time. <clears throat> and we, you know, it then went through the process of interviewing a wider group of people, basically. And it sounds like it was an extensive um, process, which is a good thing for the club to do. But at the time, you were um, sort of picking Leo Manning out as the best of a bad bunch, in a sense. Uh, and that yeah. might be a bit harsh on Manning himself, but that was kind of where we were getting from, wasn't it? Are you... Would you still prefer Manning, or are you happy with Beal? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a difficult one. Like, like you say, I think I wanted Manning based off what we were linked with, um, purely off the basis that it was more of a, a an easier transition from Wolverton to Manning, um, to similar, quite heavy possession-based coaches. Obviously, I heard, of, I knew of Beal before we were linked with him, but I didn't know him to the extent that I probably do now. So, I'm not, I'm not unhappy that we didn't go for. Manning, I think it's a slightly different style with Bill. Uh, a bit more emphasis on pressing and a bit more transitional football, which might be to some QPR fans' taste, might not be. Um, but no, I'm happy with the point of Bill. I just think it was it was kind of a left field kind of link, especially when they announced that he was like high up on the shortlist. Um, I was a little bit surprised by the name appearing up on the on the list, but no, I'm I'm happy with it. And from a tactical point of view, if there's something that he could do differently to Warbs, what would be the one thing that you'd be looking forward to the most? Or what do you want him to do then differently to Warbs? Um, I think flexibility is one thing. I don't think we're going to get flexibility in terms of shape, like some people wanted uh, when they wanted a back five to a back four to probably mid-February time. I think it's going to be from what I've seen, it's going to be a back four system, but there's going to be variations to it. Um, in terms of differences, I suppose there's a 
bigger emphasis on a press. It's not like a a pure pure pressing system. There's more. It's more emphasis on pressing from like triggers and different pass um, points. For example, like centre back to full back passes will trigger the press. Um, I don't know. I, obviously, I've it being on the more tactical side of the game, I prefer flexibility. But I think there's going to be also a bit more emphasis on defensive solidity uh, off the ball. I think there's going to be quite a structured shape. don't think we're going to be as leaky as Walton. I don't think you can get as leaky as Walton, to be honest. But um, I don't know. Some some parts are similar in terms of the press. Like, um, if you remember, we went to a 4-4-2 diamond for like three, four games back end of the last season. Um, it's going to be very similar to that in terms of pressing centre mids, pressing the fullbacks. So there's not... There's not like it's not a completely different system, but there are some parts that are quite different and some parts that uh, are seamless transitions for me. Yep, uh, sounds good. So just before we do go into this interview, there has been some breaking news out of QPR today that Johan Barbe won't be getting his new contract as he apparently wishes, or negotiations have fallen apart, whatever you want to say, but he's not going to be playing for us next season. So we thought whilst we're here, we'll do a little bit of a, a chat on uh, Barbe's time at the club so firstly is this disappointing for you because you know as per usual the outcry on Twitter has been enormous that's been that's been over the top for me um, I think I think a few weeks ago when we discussed it about the contract situation um, I did say I think that people probably rate him higher in a Walton system than elsewhere so it's not a real surprise to me. Uh, and then obviously you've got the um, the kind of, will we be playing out from the back as much again? Um, that's kind of an area that, is he going to stay? And the obvious one for me is he's very, well, everyone's a system player, um, but he's very much a system player to, to, to a tee in the fact that in a back three, ball playing, um, stepping into midfield suits it to a tee. But when you're asked to play in a more disciplined back four, it doesn't really work out as we saw in the, well, one and a half years before we changed system. So no, I'm not I'm not um, too bothered about letting him go. I mean, some people have labelled him as a legend, which I think is ridiculously over the top. And yeah, I don't know where that's to come from, but no, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, and I think it's probably the best, better choice from the club, if I'm being honest. Yeah, um, I think we'll probably find that he's not suited to playing under this new structure. Like you said, the memories of clearly about one and a half year, years ago have escaped people's minds because before we did go into a back five he was probably labeled as a liability by a lot of people and you know he's improved quite a bit but perhaps he improved by playing in a in a formation and a system that was more suited to him the thing that i get from this always that you know people say his availability and his fact that he just never got injured um and the fact that he played like 98 consecutive games is a you know big reason why we should be keeping him. Um, and for me, that kind of comes down to like the idea that he's always turns up and he's always available to be picked, but he's not actually good enough. <laughs> like, and it kind of feels to a certain point that that isn't why we should be given players contracts. Um, you know, the club have made mistakes in the past. I've seen today people criticising them because they gave deals to Hammerlinen and then they haven't given it to Barbe. But, you know, he is 29. We've got Device still to come back as well. 
Um, Jimmy Dunn is obviously going to be a centre-back at the club for the next couple of years. And you've got Rob Dickey. Um, you know, do we, we'll probably look to use Masterson as well. That's the other thing that people are forgetting, that he has still got to come through at one point. So does this provide him a bit more of a natural progression into the first team? Is he going to get a few more minutes or is he going to get sent out on loan again? Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about it. Um, I don't. Th- I think that's what we're getting at here. It's nothing really too disappointing, is it? No, it's not. I mean, on the obviously the Hammerliner thing you brought up, I think that's a low risk deal. Although I don't didn't really see the point in it at the time. I think given a twenty a twenty year old a long term contract on cheap wages, that's that's okay for me. But I think and you have to remember the, the situation around that time is that people were freaking out at the fact that we left let Manning and Boss leave for basically nothing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Nico isn't to their quality, but they were just trying to secure players longer term, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but whether that turns out to be a mistake or not, I don't know. I think in terms of in terms of the, the centre-back replacement, I think it'd be interesting, like you say, the Masterson link to Bill. I don't know if he was at the club at the same time with Liverpool. Um, but obviously, Device isn't, isn't going to play a full season regardless. Um, so what you're looking at really three definite centre-backs playing like full seasons. Um, if, they, if they stay fit, Dickie obviously could leave. I think if Dickie leaves, we're going to have to bring one regardless. I don't know if we bring one as a Barbie replacement per se, but I think we might have to look at a left, left, left-sided centre-half if the vice is out injured. I think it's not a, it's not a must to have a left-footer and a right-footer, but I think it does help with balance in terms of it's too predictable at times if you play two right footers, you get you get pressed easily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially if we're not going to play out of the back as much. Um, it could be interesting. So I don't know what we're going to do yet, um, even in terms of recruitment in general, but it'd be interesting to see kind of what skill set of a centre-back we sign. And that might give us a clue as to why Barbe left or there might be other reasons why he, uh, he didn't sign on. So it'll be interesting to follow up. Yep, but enough chat about Barbe. The main reason that this podcast is being put together today is because of our interview with Cole Petson from the Hulkcast. And that is what you're going to be hearing next, providing I've done the editing correctly. Okay, so now uh, me and Dan are going to be uh, joined by Cole Petson from the Hulkcast podcast just to uh, ask a few questions about Michael Beale and what we can expect from him. So, Cole, thanks for joining us. Welcome on. How are you today? Ah, Not too bad yourself. All good uh, on our end. Um, so, you know, it was a pretty good season in the end for Aston Villa. Um, and from this appointment, we've seen a bit of outpouring, outpouring of grief from some fans. As we know, Twitter is the place to get people's opinions and it's always correct. Um, but, you know, from our point of view, that was suggesting some pretty good things. So is, it, is losing Michael Beale a bit of a significant loss for Aston Villa? Um, it's maybe too soon to really tell. And maybe that doesn't give QPR fans the greatest kind of notion, but I mean, coming in when they did just before the halfway mark of the season, replacing Dean Smith, I mean, you kind of had that immediate kind of managerial boost that so many people kind of adequate with a quick change during the season. Uh, Of course, sometimes it doesn't happen and there's millions of examples of that. And then of course, millions of examples where it does, 
and and it did and kind of ever since then it's kind of been up and down and if we've been very consistent at something in the past season it's been being very inconsistent so um i don't know if that gives the greatest indication but if i was to kind of quote anybody it'd probably be emmy martinez's uh, quotes in regards to michael beale basically saying how hands-on he is he's basically treated as the second head coach if anything, kind of handling the uh, training sessions in particular, aside from Steven Jarrett, just really looking on. So he kind of looks like he is really that second to that go-to man in terms of that, which I mean, really isn't surprising if you're kind of the second in line behind someone like Steven Gerrard, but I've never really heard comments like this kind of come out where you do have a figurehead like Gerrard. And then there's someone even in behind him that seems just as important. So it'll be interesting. I mean, people kind of said the same thing when uh, Jurgen Klopp lost his kind of go-to man. What is it? A few seasons ago. And I mean, they've went on to win what champions leagues and premier League, So it can't all be that bad, but we'll have to wait and see kind of how this one pans out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I guess it is weird that um, you've got someone like Gerard, who I think English fans, especially would associate being one of the greatest midfielders in the game. And then also you just assume that he sort of knows a hell of a lot about football, but it's interesting how the sort of the narrative sort of shifts from certain point of views. And if you ask some, QPR fans, they would say that uh, Bill was basically the the mastermind behind it all, and they're getting very excited about that. But I'm sure it's not just Bill. Um, but Villa, you know, you've appointed a Championship manager basically to replace him. I, you're probably going to do fine without him, I'd imagine, won't you? I think so. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, our coaching staff is probably too big to begin with at some point. It probably still is. Um, It feels like there's seven or eight or even nine figureheads in that position. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a quantity um, kind of team effort in regards to the coaching. So I think we'll be just fine. But I mean, in regards to Michael Beal, you're getting a very young and hungry manager. I think everyone knew at some point this was going to happen. I mean, Did a lot of people think it was going to happen so soon after, especially moving from Rangers halfway through a season? Probably not. But I mean, these things happen all the time. And I think it's probably just kind of um, maybe magnified in certain circumstances like this when you do get someone like Steven Gerrard, who I think a lot of people thought, especially going into the Rangers job, is he maybe just someone like another Frank Lampard, which I think personally I'm still not convinced by. I don't know how many people actually are, but um, it'll definitely be interesting and time will tell if that was a massive hit or not. But from a Villa standpoint, I think we'll be fine. And I mean, kind of looking at your guys' standpoint, I think you're getting one heck of a young coach. And I mean, with the young team you guys are building, I think that's definitely something that's very promising. Yeah. In terms of... um... On, on like the in terms of on the pitch, um, Gerard's known for obviously quite a narrow, narrow formation, narrow system. But is it fair to say that in that system with the likes of Coutinho, Buendia, that is quite reliant on technical players to play through oppositions? Yeah, for sure, hundred uh, percent. It's it's been a very interesting kind of learning curve, definitely for especially the fan base. I mean, going from Dean Smith's kind of brand of football, which was trying to be attacking at times and it seemed to kind of come off um not this past season but the season prior and then kind of going into this one um definitely more possession based i mean when you have the likes of coutinho you definitely want to play through players like that and kind of feed into those players so 100 i mean 
we'll still kind of see who gets brought in at this point, but with some of the names coming in, it's, it is exciting. And I mean, when you look at even someone like Michael Beal, like we've kind of talked about here, I mean, I think that's probably exemplified through him as well. So I would probably expect to see some similarities in terms of that. It's kind of interesting when it comes to Steven Gerrard's attack, like I wouldn't even saying attacking prowess or play style, because I still don't even know really what it is at, at this point in time. And I think a lot of that does come through Michael Beal. So I, I think from your kind of standpoint, I would kind of expect to see some of that. And maybe there's a little bit more tactical flexibility because we've definitely seen that going in from one half to another when it's not working. So, I mean, if you go from different managers where the, they won't twist until the 80th minute per se, and it's too late and it's very frustrating. I don't really see Michael Beal as one of those that'll kind of sit there and kind of put his hands under his, under his bottom and just kind of hope for the best kind of thing. Well, that no, will make some that, QPR fans yeah. very happy. <laughs> that, that was a, I mean, that was a criticism of our old manager. Um, but in terms of the, the front three, really, obviously you can play with two tens that Bill said before they are tens, not winners. And, um, or two strikers, one ten. How do they? How do they kind of like um, function in possession? Are they quite? Are they quite a fluid front three? Because at times they can be quite transitional, can't they? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it all depends on the opposition. And I mean, I, I guess probably that's the differentiation between the championship and the Premier League. I mean, I, I guess for an example, for a kind of a lower end team. Um, in the Premier League, I mean, Leeds can't defend for their lives. And I still don't think they won't let that next season. So that should be humorous to watch on a number of levels. But um, kind of going into that three-all draw we had with them, I mean, you look at Coutinho as the figurehead and kind of playing through and linking up, whether it's Watkins or Jacob Ramsey kind of bombing on from in behind him as well and using those center mids as a little bit of extra width. Um, it, it definitely kind of pays off in regards to that. And I mean, when you're going down to the championship level as well, where there's going to be a little bit more time on the ball, maybe a little bit more uh, fiscality and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that kind of maybe even benefits a Michael Beal side a little bit more, a little bit more time on the ball. And if he does want to kind of carry with a little bit more possession, I think that really does benefit. But at the end of the day, it's kind of, kind of depend on who maybe is that figurehead in the middle or who's really supporting them as well. Um, I, I think the one thing at Villa that a lot of fans have been kind of confused about is we definitely went from a side that's had a lot of wingers um, to kind of playing through the middle. So if there's that adjustment within the kind of playing squad at QPR as well, that may be something that maybe you see with kind of the theme of transfers coming in as well, and maybe even younger players being utilized more so than others that, you might be surprised or not being used. So for sure, I would definitely would be, wouldn't be surprised if you use, I would say more of kind of a central middle figure to play out, maybe whether it's one or two tens, I guess that's the difference, but at the end of the day, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's where, that's probably one of the big things about bringing in Michael Bill, obviously two of our key players um, are number 10. So that should be a pretty seamless um, transition, but in terms of, um, the other end of the pitch. I was quite interested watching a few of the games from Villa uh, playing out from the back. Is that um, is that a regular occurrence all the time? Because I don't know, I, I don't watch Villa all the time, but Emmy Martinez doesn't to me seem like a, a complete keeper with the ball at his feet. Is that fair to say? Um, he has his moments. I mean, kind of, if I kind of go over my 
10 to 12 year fandom of Villa, I kind of sit back and think of, well, we haven't had too many that could. Um, so he's probably the best of the bunch, but he's definitely all right on the ball. I think every goalkeeper has their scary moments. I mean, you look at Allison or Ederson who are supposed to be the best and they still give you moments of kind of panic, even if you're not a Liverpool or city fan for some reason. So there's always that aspect, but playing out from the back, I mean, it's definitely been something that Jared and the coaching staff and Michael Beal has definitely been a major part of um, kind of transitioning um, from Dean Smith. It was much more so, um, and how maybe this is more of a scouting tip playing Norwich next season definitely wasn't a play from the back kind of style it was a lot of long balls and more so coming from a lack of kind of options kind of moving forward to give quick one two passes and kind of relieve some of that defensive pressure and that's definitely been something that um, this regime has kind of come in and really really focused on um, whether that translates over to the championship is kind of another thing. Um, I mean, you've seen teams like, for example, Sunderland and League One under Lee Johnson try to play out from the back, and maybe it, it works from that kind of standard for a little bit. But at the end of the day, I, I think with a young coach like Beal, I think it's all about flexibility. And I think he does bring a little bit of that because let's be realistic, at times it can be very, very challenging watching a little bit of hoofball, whatever, whatever modern team I guess kind of does that in the championship and I guess a little bit of that is kind of required at times but I, I think the major outliers kind of be maybe skilling a little bit more pace and you know what when you look at someone like Beal I think he can kind of utilize that to the best of his abilities especially when he's looking at um, I kind of watched his little QPR interview that he did um, ahead of jumping on here and you sit there and look at someone that wants to use young players and youth development. And I, I think for sides in lower divisions, I mean, that's nothing but beneficial, whether QPR gets promoted in one, two, three, four, five plus years. I mean, for one, it creates exciting football and great talent, but two, I mean, it's a definitely a good business model if you want to uh, gain a few more uh, pounds in the bank. Yeah. Uh, You've mentioned a few times the sort of difference between uh, the styles of play between your previous manager and then this Gerard style of play. So when Gerard took over, what and obviously Bill came in then as well. What was the sort of obvious improvements made to sort of keep you more stable in the Premier League? Um, it was it was kind of hard to see at first. I feel like when a new manager comes in partway through any kind of part of the season, really. Um, it's basically see what you have and see if there's can be a few little tweaks. And I mean, initially when we had a few wins right on the bounce, it was, I wouldn't say it was too much different, but it was definitely slightly more increased ball possession during certain kind of points of the game. Um, maybe things like passing around from the back, that kind of stuff. I, I would say if anything, the thing I've noticed is there's definitely more patience on the ball um, Dean Smith was very much kind of you're going to use your wingers as your one true outlet and get that into the middle and feed the striker I would say more so than anything I mean when you're going from someone like Jack Grealish on the left that definitely can be a possibility um, and now kind of going through the middle per se, per se with someone like Coutinho or Buendia um, it, it definitely creates a little bit more space in the middle and I think maybe the one thing I would say off the ball or even kind of even off the pitch more so maybe in their everyday lives or on the training pitch when you see videos or you see um, little pressers come out. I think it's just kind of, 
that accountability and whether it's Gerard or Beal or anyone on the coaching staff, it's, it's kind of the same ethos that they brought from Rangers per se, where it was, we're going to give you the best facilities, uh, the best of everything. There's no excuses. You have to do your job and do it to the highest degree. And I mean, albeit we would have liked to finish higher, but you can definitely see there's accountability. There's kind of that heightened expectation. And I think when you get into a coaching level, um, whether it's Gerard or Beal, like I said, or whoever else, I think they all kind of offer that same. And I think the number one thing, like I said before, is accountability. And I mean, when you look at managers in the past that haven't worked out, whether it be QPR or Villa, I mean, you can kind of probably say that's probably one of the personality traits at times that probably haven't been there or haven't come across right. So I would definitely say kind of probably from a more important thing than anything, accountability is probably the biggest thing. In terms of, um, I found watching a few Villa games or even Rangers games, um, the way uh, Michael Bill or Gerard sides press um, is quite a unique uh, unique way. Obviously, you have the centre mids pressing the fullbacks, um, and then you've got like the front three. They like to stay quite high, either for kind of like transitional moments and kind of to block off the uh, the central areas. Is that have you found that kind of structure to be a success? Um, and if so, is there been a difference between playing like two strikers, one ten, or or two tens and a striker in that off the ball system? It's been very weird because when Dean Smith was still around as Villa boss, I mean Villa fans were cursing for Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins to never play together ever again. It just it didn't click and it took forever. And then Jared tried it and it started to work for some weird reason. Um, I mean, it probably does help when you have Coutinho behind you, I would probably say more so than anything, but um, no, it's definitely one of those things where you kind of sit back and look at it. And I think, again, it's about the kind of tactical flexibility. Like for instance, from a Villa perspective, Ollie Watkins will run all over the place. He'll press the, the back line to the ninth degree. He'll kind of create that pressure for opportunities to kind of capitalize that. And I, I think really it all depends on who you're playing. So, I mean, on the final day against Man City, um, I mean, we kind of played as we always do. Um, and there was that press, but at other times when we played the likes of Liverpool or Chelsea, Sometimes it's been a little bit more of, okay, if we're going to play with Ollie Watkins and he's going to do the pressing, Danny Ings is going to do a little bit more of the defensive work and kind of track back a little bit more, which takes probably away from that secondary striker. If you're only going to play with a one and two tens, I mean, for me, definitely from what I've seen, you better have your central midfielders behind him tucked in real tight and be able to kind of cover those mistakes because, I mean, I wouldn't really expect the likes of someone like a Buendia or Coutinho or a creative midfielder to really do a lot of the tracking back. So I I think, again, I think it really depends on kind of the level of opponent. If you're going to play, for example, a a championship championship example, if you're going to play a kind of a, a lower end team that may sit back and give you a little bit more time on the ball, I mean, probably two strikers or two tens, it really doesn't matter. I think it kind of, maybe solves the problem in itself in terms of kind of creating space outside of their own box. Cause you're going to have that time. If you're going to probably play a, a promotion chaser, you know, it might be a little bit more run and gun. So maybe you want to pack the midfield a little bit more and maybe go with two up front instead. Um, and then switch to maybe 
two tens at the end to create a little bit more width kind of in behind a, a solo striker. So I, I think, you know what, it works depending on maybe, um, I guess, depending on the day for one, based on what I've seen from this Villa side, but in terms of opponent, it definitely can matter on that skill set. But again, it, I think it's all about flexibility with Michael Beal. And I, I think that's something he offers. Um, and in terms of, well, from from again what I've watched, is it is it fair to say that the fullback role in in a Michael Bill or Steven Gerrard uh, side is probably the most demanding because obviously Cash and Dina are the two two good fullbacks at the level, uh, both athletic, both um, can go forward and, and defend. Is it quite a, a a demanding role? Yeah, when he first came in, um, they were probably the two biggest figureheads in terms of attacking outlet, and then kind of after our little bit of a winning streak when Jared and Beal and his coaching staff came in, um, it slowly faded away. And I think they probably got founded a little too easily and there were some adjustments. And now kind of looking back at the end of the season, the last few games, especially, you can see that there's still a very, very important part of that kind of attacking outlet and input and kind of creating things going forward. But Again, there's a little bit more flexibility in there where you're not really committing them so high that you're leaving your center backs or that lone kind of CDM in front out to dry. So, I mean, again, whether it's Jared or Beal, I would expect your fullbacks to be very, very busy and very, very active at both sides of the pitch. And I would probably say, I mean, especially for the championship level, I would definitely say having a good crosser of the ball from at least one side is going to be a, a massive thing. But again, having someone who can kind of do work at both ends of the pitch. And I mean, that's why um, essentially why Maddie Target left and Luca Dean really came in um, with Maddie Cash on the right. It's it's all about that flexibility. And I think if you can ha- get players or have players in the ranks that can offer a little bit of both worlds, I, I think that really does benefit QPR in a Michael Beal system. Um, and has there been, have there been really any, any main issues or vulnerabilities in, in the system since he's kind of come in? Um, and have they, have they managed to tweak or fix them at all? Um, hard to tell, to be honest, at times. I mean, I think the biggest thing from a Villa perspective has been, while well, this these aren't Gerard's players basically that's been said ever since he's come in and that there's going to be big change and we've already seen that with uh, Coutinho being secured permanently and two other additions so I, I mean in terms of playing quality we always expect a changeover and kind of when that goes to a QPR kind of perspective it It's really, again, it's not maybe the best concrete answer, but it's definitely going to be a time will tell kind of thing Um, with Michael Beal. I mean, you look at kind of the defensive standpoint from Villa kind of playing out from the back, like we always talked about. And our biggest issue has been the central defensive midfielder kind of role, which hopefully we've solved now in the summer. So I think if Gerard and Beal are going to play very similar systems and differing divisions, if I'm looking at positionally, probably the biggest outliers that need to be either strengthened or are going to be your figureheads, it's going to be those fullbacks. It's probably going to be a defensive midfielder. That's no nonsense. And um, a little bit of creativity in the attacking areas, which I know QPR already have. So I think probably from a defensive standpoint, it's going to be probably the biggest outlier because 
I've seen Villa games where we've been excellent and smashed example, Southampton four nil. I've seen examples where we should have beaten Leeds like nine, two or something like that. And somehow drawn three all and gave it away. So I think it kind of all depends on the shape and how they kind of adjust themselves with small little tweaks over the game really. But at the end of the day, I would say probably your fullbacks, that defensive midfielder, if that's how Beal's going to go similar to Gerrard, is going to be the, the biggest fat factor in QPR having a successful season. Uh, so whilst we're on the topic of uh, recruitment, is there any realistic chance of QPR perhaps loaning in and borrowing some of your younger players? Uh, and if so, who? Because I think this is one of the things that QPR fans are desperate for. Uh I know there's been some names sort of passed about already within QPR sort of circles, but do you think there's any chance of this actually happening? Um, really, really tough to say. I mean, Michael Beale's been at what Chelsea and Liverpool and Rangers and Villa. So, I mean, just even beyond Villa, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you see maybe a younger player from Rangers come in, or maybe he taps into the Liverpool connection because it really wasn't that long ago. Um, I'm sure he still has contacts at Chelsea, but from a Villa standpoint, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I, maybe it depends on who's ready for that step up. And probably the two biggest ones I would say is probably Jaden Philogene Bidais, maybe as one as an attacking outlet. And depending on our striker situation, if we want to keep Cameron Archer around um, as kind of the third choice behind Ings and Watkins, and that all depend here in probably the next month or so. I would probably say those are the two that are most ready for championship football that have already played. Um, whether or not that comes through as a connection and actually happens is another thing, but I would definitely point those two as probably the most likely. I mean, there's Ben Krasina from a defensive standpoint. Is he ready? Um, Kessler Hayden, is he ready to step up from, I mean, he was playing league two football in league one last year as well. Is he ready for a championship um, bailed if not if we're not going to keep him as the backup right back so you know what maybe even throw him into the mix too as that kind of attacking right back that can give you a little bit more flexibility but I, I think time will tell and maybe those two or three are probably the best fit for a QPR side or maybe most likely to happen if you're looking at young talent that can really perform at that level well I think uh, Arch would be the one that gets that's most QPR fans uh, excited or interested. And, and last question now, just because we are unfortunately running out of time, but it's been fantastic so far. Um, do you think, oh, with all the things that we've said today, considered that QPR fans do have a kind of a hope of being optimistic at this appointment? Yeah, I would say so. I think the biggest thing is to keep in mind, like anything, is patience is key. I know that's probably something in football that, doesn't really exist at any level these days. Um, but when you're going for someone who's just really been an assistant coach, um, who's basically been seen as a head coach in the eyes of Villa players for the last six plus months, I, I think that does bode well. But again, it's about getting the players maybe he wants in, shifting a few out. It's about really finding that balance and whether that's this coming season or the next, I think, Again, I think it's really patience is going to be the key there. But I, I think he's a very talented individual. And I think he offers a lot that, you know what, again, he's growing with the club as well with these young players. Um, I think it's very exciting for QPR. And you know what, why not? It's summer. It's time to be delirious and optimistic and have those crazy thoughts of maybe 
being promoted and smashing teams left, right, and center. So why not get a little excited? Uh, Cole, thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, so that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, thanks very much again to Cole for coming on and giving us some great insight into Michael Beal. We now won't be back as a podcast until pre-season, so in the meantime, please make sure you're following Our Generation Nets on Twitter. You can follow both me and Dan on Twitter as well. Also, uh, please give the podcast a follow on the platform that you use, and if your platform does allow it, please give us five stars in a review. Uh, That really helps us somehow. Uh, So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, come on you arse.